Real Truth Real Quick. My name is Rick Smith. I'm here with Todd Wagner. How are you doing, Todd? I am well, thank you. How are you? Well, I'm doing pretty well. Today we're talking about Satan. Yeah. How much power does Satan have? Oh, wow. Well, he has none except the sovereign God gives him, and he only has as much power over you specifically in terms of your being enslaved to sin as you give him. So uh, I would say not as much power as people think. This question, Rick, really um, comes because some people think that that there is a dualistic universe. That really comes from a, uh, a philosopher who lived in the third century. His name is Manes. And um, uh, uh, Manichaeism is the idea that there is this eternal struggle between good and evil, and we're not really sure which one's going to win. In fact, if you have that mindset that there is a little demon on this shoulder and a little angel on this shoulder, and whichever one you know is having a better day or the one you're feeding, they're going to be ultimately stronger. You know, that, that has its roots in uh, Manichaeism. And what I would tell you is that Satan is uh, as easy to resist as it is to submit to God. That's what James chapter 4, verse 7 says. It says, submit therefore to God and resist the devil and he will flee from you. So, um, you know, he, he only has as much power as we give him. He can only do in our life what God allows him, okay? And ultimately, I would ask people this question. How much power does a lie have over you? I think the way I'd answer that is as much as you give it credence, right? Um, you know, Satan, Jesus says, is the father of lies. He was a liar from the beginning in John chapter 8, verse 44. And so the way you battle Satan, ultimately, is not with a power encounter, but with a truth encounter. All right? Uh, this is what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare, it says, are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing, the scripture says, raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ as much as we want to be victorious. Satan, from the very beginning, okay, um, was given by God, access to humans. God gave humans everything they needed to know about him and his person. And then what happens? The father of lies shows up and he says, God's not that good. His word isn't true. You can't trust him. And disobeying him is not that big a deal. Lie, lie, lie. When we gave Satan power in our life as humans, by letting us believe that God isn't good, his word isn't true, and disobeying him is not that big a deal, we became enslaved to those lies. And we could not be set free because God said, the day you depart from me, you shall surely die. Part of death, okay, um, is, well, it's being separated from the God who is good and living underneath the one who the scripture says of this guy has come to steal, kill, and destroy. And so he has complete power over us once we become a slave to him until we get a new master who can redeem us and deliver us and rescue us. And that is what God has done. This God who apparently is not good is good enough to save us when we rebelled against him. This God whose word is not true, we find out, uh, gives us words of truth that will set us free from the dominion of death that has come to us when we left the God who is life. So, um, you know, I like to tell folks, listen, man, you know, uh, if you don't, bow before God, you're not able to stand before Satan. Peter, as an example, uh, resisted God and therefore was whipped by Satan. 
all right? Because he did not listen to the word of God, just like you and me, all right? Um, but I'll, I'll take you one last place in scripture, okay? How much power does Satan have? Again, we've already said he's not sovereign. He doesn't share the attributes of God. He's a created spirit being. We know this, just like Michael, just like Gabriel. But he believed that he was more glorious than God. And so he was judged and cast out. And then God has allowed him, okay, to have access to humankind's underneath still his sovereignty. We see the best illustration of this in, in the book of Job, chapter 1, in verses 6 through 12. Um, it says, the sons of God came and basically were giving a report. And this narrative is, is in an anthropological way of understanding uh, the writer of the book of Job is sharing the story with us. And God says to Satan, do you see my servant Job? And he goes, yeah, I see him. But the reason he loves you is because you've blessed his life. And God said, nope, not the case. And Satan said, hey, you take away that hedge of protection from him, and he won't worship you. And God says, I'll tell you what, I'm going to give you permission to take away that which you think makes him love me. And so he attacked his family. He attacked his prosperity. And what we find is that Job still worshiped God. And so chapter 2, same narrative. The sons of God come before him. They're giving a report of what's happening. God says to Satan, I told you, he loves me because he has faith that I'm good, even when he can't see all my goodness worked out in his life. Satan says, well, that's because you didn't let me mess with his person. You let me jack with his health and bring suffering to him personally, not emotionally, but physically, and he's not going to trust you. And what you find out is that God lets Satan afflict Job physically in addition to the emotional pain and loss of provision. And Job wrestles with God how he could possibly do this, but he doesn't stop worshiping God. Um, this should be a real cause of comfort. And it was a comfort to a guy named Charles Haddon Spurgeon, uh, who was a great pastor. And he wrote something I'm going to read. It's a quote that I have read and re referenced many times. One of the things that Spurgeon says that's so great, he said he knows this about God. It's really what Job knew, which is that God is too good to be unkind, he's too wise to be mistaken. So when you cannot trace his hand, when you can't see the fingerprints of God on something, you, you should trust his heart, all right? And what Spurgeon did and what all godly men do that keeps us from being overwhelmed with despair is that we wanna be individuals that um, realize that while there is trouble in this world, and God explains that it, Jesus says this, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. All right, and the, this world is a world that is enslaved to sin, that is marred by one who has come to steal, kill, and destroy. And he says, but you can live victoriously in him because I have redeemed you from him. I've rescued you from bondage to him. And so now that you know that I am good, let the spirit of truth live in you and not the spirit of error and bondage. But here's what Spurgeon says. This is his, this is his quote, and I'll read it to you because I don't have Spurgeon memorized. He says, it would be very... It'd be a very sharp and trying experience to me to think that I have an affliction which God never sent me, that the bitter cup was never filled by his hand, my loving God's hand, that my trials were never measured out by him, nor sent to me by his arrangement of their weight and quantity. Let me just say this. Sometimes people think if they're really good and holy that um, God won't let Satan mess with them. I think from the book of Job, and, and even if you take what Spurgeon wrote right here, when he said that, hey, God's going to measure out everything, God knew what Job could handle and that his grace would be sufficient for the character and the nature of a man like Job. What I would tell you is that 
Instead of thinking that if you're good, no trouble will befall you, the truth is the, the, the better you are, the more you know the goodness of God, which is what makes us ultimately good, the more God might let Satan mess with you in a way that will allow you to show the greatness of God that you don't need to be catered to during these days of suffering in order to worship God. So here's the point. Satan can't do anything to you. No physical or emotional affliction will come your way unless God's grace can be sufficient for you. So trust in him. Resist the devil. Submit therefore to God and the devil will flee from you, the scripture says. That's not a very powerful enemy if he'll run if you're just resisting. And we resist him with truth. It says. All right. Thanks, Todd. Yeah. Well, listen, the truth of the matter is, like Job, all of us can have surprises in life. So we did another episode called How Does God's Word Help Us to Deal with Surprises in Life? So be sure to check that episode out yeah. and uh, hope that that brings you comfort. And we'll see you next week on another episode of Real Truth Real Quick.